All right, guys, we are continuing with our study in the book of Genesis. But before we continue on in the chapter 12, dealing with the call of Abraham, let's do a very quick review. Now, the last time we were in Genesis chapter 11, what you have to remember, we basically were dealing with the seed line. The writer, that is Moses, was continuing to trace the seed line dealing from Shem all the way to the family of Terah who is the father of Abraham. And what we see in chapter 11 is the constant dealing with these particular seeds, this son of this particular man, son of that particular man, whatever. That's the idea, the seed son. But what begins to change is when we move into chapter 12, which is where we are today, we're not so much going to deal with so much as the seed line as a particular call for a family. And this family will be the beginning of the Jewish people. That is Abraham, who is the father of the Jewish people. Okay, so now let's get ready to go into chapter 12 and let's look at the call of Abraham. All right, 12 and 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. Let's just do all two and three, the whole call. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you. I make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, here we have the call of Abram. But now, if you guys recall, we taught that in our very last video. Abraham received this particular call when he was down in Haran. And that, I'm sorry, when he was down in Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember, with his father, Terah. And most likely, he convinced his father to leave from Ur of the Chaldeans. And they got journeyed to Haran, which was the place where Terah was originally from. Once getting there, Terah was not, he didn't want to leave, apparently. He didn't want to leave. So Abraham either waited until his father died or he left before his father died. But nevertheless, the point that I'm making is that the call of Abraham that we see here, the writer in chapter 12, he's not so much trying to do everything chronological, chronological, chronological. He's looking back to that call that took place to Abram when he was in Ur of the Chaldean with his father. And this was the nature of that call. And this is the call that Abraham will obey. But nevertheless, now let's look at the call and dissect it. So in the first verse, he tells him to leave his country, his relatives, his father's house to a land that God will show him. So the difficult part, and I'm not going to make a, a big belly who about it, but the difficult part is simply to leave people that you know about. When you leave your family, you leave your friends and leave everything that you have become accustomed and acquainted to, to a place that you have no idea about whatsoever, because it is clear Abraham did not know exactly where God would lead him. He just simply know that he heard the voice of God telling him to leave and to leave the things that he had begotten. He had gotten so attached to 
How many of us would just simply hear a voice, the voice of God, and no doubt there had to be some kind of a voice, and just simply leave everything and everybody, that is, who's not willing to come with you, all right? So he tells them to leave and go to this land that God will show him, and that simply means the place has not been is not known by Abram at this particular time. And another thing, guys, you'll have to forgive me because we, through history, have gotten so well known with Abraham. You'll hear me call him Abraham. But now, at this moment in time, his name is just Abram, that is, exalted father, meaning of his name. But sometimes I'll say Abraham because I'm just used to calling him Abraham. But I'll try to stick with what the scripture says at this point, Abram, and I'm not going to deal with the change in the name until God gives it in the scripture. All right. But anyway, so that's the first part. Verse number one, verse number two, when God now promises to make him a great nation and to bless him and make his name great. That takes us all the way back. Do you remember the whole issue that we saw happening at the Tower of Babel in the land of Shinar? All of this stuff that Nimrod was doing and that all of humanity was doing. That is, they were trying to make themselves a name and build themselves a great city. And the whole point is they were magnifying themselves. But how did that end up? in total destruction by God himself in, in the sense of judgment and God did away with all of the works of man. And that's the whole, isn't that a beautiful concept though, guys? That's, and even today, what does man do? He's trying to always build a name for himself. He's always trying to build up things around himself, make himself great. But the whole point is this, all that we do, the only thing that we do for the Lord, that's the only thing that's going, to, that's going to survive. Jesus himself is going to be the only one who will truly have a name. And those who will have a great name will be those whom he will give a great name. It's the same thing all the time throughout history. And the, whole, and the reason for all of that, guys, is man has never changed. The nature of who we are is sinful, is prideful, is all about making ourselves something apart from God. We don't want God. And, and another thing, while, even while I'm here, that's the very reason why we have the call of Abraham. Remember, let's just go back to the last thing that we had. The last great incident that we had was the Tower of Babel, building of an idolatrous temple, worshiping the stars of heaven. And where is God? The God who had less than four generations destroyed the world by water. Where is that thought and worship of God? Man has already forgotten about God. So now we see God's merciful hand. So what is God doing? He is now beginning to preserve a name, a people, and the worship of himself. Lest for all of humanity, we all turn away from God. And what happens? Genesis chapter 6, when all of mankind turns away from God, get ready. Here comes destruction again. But nevertheless, the point that I'm trying to say, and I know I'm doing a little preaching, but also trying to give you guys a little insight, insight to the choosing of Abram, the choosing of this Jewish man. And notice once again, as I told you, um, in the last video that we made, it's nothing meritorious about Abraham. Abraham is not so great. 
Abraham is not doing something so wonderful. Remember, his father, Terah, was a worshiper of the gods, uh, 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 of, of the uh, Akkadian gods. So they were idol worship too. Remember, that's what Joshua said. They were worshipers of idols. So there's nothing so wonderful about Abram. It is the mercy of God. And this is once again what I've told you guys about the principle of election. It's not who man chooses. It's whom God chooses. And when God does these things, he does it in mercy. And he also does it for the glory of his name. That whatever God says, God alone will be magnified. But anyway, anyway, anyway. I'm going to leave from that, but the whole point is, verse number two, all the thing that they were trying to accomplish, Nimrod, for themselves, God now tells Abram, it is I who will do that for you. And that's what we need to always remember. It is not what we do. It is what God does for us. Our job is the obedience to God. Our job is to worship and to magnify God and not to build up ourselves in pride. But anyway, let's go on to verse number three. And so God says, and I'll bless those who bless you and the one who curse you, I'll curse you. And in you, all the families are, will be blessed. Now here, the very focal point of the reason for the call of Abraham, for the call of the Jewish nation, the call of the Jewish people. Notice what he says. Now, first of all, there are two parts to it. In the calling of Abraham, because it is God who calls Abraham and God who purposes to use Abraham and his people. In that whole scenario, God said, and so therefore, how people respond to you, I will respond to them. If they bless you, I'll bless them. If they curse you, and the whole idea of cursing is that Hebrew word that simply means to disdain or to treat lightly. And if they treat you in a disrespectful, curse you, I'll also curse them. And they actually use even a stronger word that God himself uses. And now here's the reason while I'm here, I might as well talk about it. Notice the whole point. What you have to understand is this. The okay, I tell you, what, let me finish it. And then I'll get back to the reason why this is the case. Notice, and in you. Now that's the purpose for Abraham. What? All the families of the earth will be blessed. That is the whole reason why God called Abraham. He did not call Abraham simply that he may go. No, no, no. What the Lord said, go for yourself. Actually, that's literally what the Hebrew says in verse number one, when the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country, the Hebrew says, go for yourself. That means there will be a blessing to Abraham in his obedience. There's a blessing for that. But my point that I'm stressing here is this in verse number three, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So what are you seeing? God's mind is not just simply set on Abraham and the Jewish people alone is not about him is not simply about them and them and him alone. God's mindset is to use him. It is therefore a privilege that God has given Abraham a privilege to do what to bless 
all the families of the earth. Notice all those other nations. Remember those 70 nations that we talked about in Genesis chapter 10? These nations who became known as the Gentiles, that is non-Jewish people. So the mindset of God is to use a man and his people who will come from forth from Abraham, we know as the Jewish people, for the purpose. What purpose? Indeed, they will be blessed. What did he say in verse number one? Go for yourself. But the purpose is that all the families of the earth will be blessed. God has in his mindset the blessing of us all. So the Jewish people, the Jewish nation, Abraham was chosen in order that they may be not simply a priestly, always remember, see when I say priestly nation, I kind of wonder do you guys even know what I'm talking about? A priestly, a priest. The very idea of a priest simply is this, one who is for, for the most part as a go-between between one party and another. That is one who is serving man, who is serving man on behalf of God, according to the call of God. That is as the priest, the Levites and the priests served Israel on be, uh, for, that is representing Israel to God. You got it? The Levites represented Israel, served Israel, the nation of the Jewish people for God. That, and so therefore it was a privilege for them to be the servants of God on behalf of the nation of the Jewish people. Now you see the Jewish people were supposed to be and intended to be by God a priestly nation. And that's what you see when you get to Exodus chapter 19 and Exodus chapter 20, when God calls the nation out of bondage with Moses at Mount Sinai and God tells them, and you, not just the Levites, because here, even at that point, God had even chosen the Levites. So God is speaking to the nation. What does he say to the Jews? You shall be a nation of priests to me. Now, if you're going to be a whole nation of priests, then who are you going to be serving? It was the intent of God to use them for the blessings of the Gentiles. That is the rest of us. The Jewish people were privileged. Notice I'm using the word. It is because it is a privilege to be chosen by God for service. For service. But the point is this. It's not something to so much brag about or pat yourself on about. Even in this, it is the election of God. What did they do to be called? Nothing. Were they so much better? No, they weren't. It was simply the call of God doing what? God is displaying his love and his mercy for all of humanity in choosing a people to preserve and to keep the knowledge and the worship of God so that it can be shared and transmitted with the rest of the people so that we, he can tell everybody else. Okay. So I hope we get over this thing with the Jews, you know, cause sometimes I do see, I have seen it. I have seen the great arrogance and pride and I, I can, I understand that too. I understand. I have to fight that same crap sometimes guys. By the calling of God. Remember, the calling of God is privilege. 
It doesn't make you any more than anybody else. But I have seen it with my Jewish brothers and the arrogance, and I have read it in the writing of the rabbis and the, the, the Jews, you know, and so it's this sense of superiority. It's not superiority that's being established here. Not at all. It's service. It's privilege. And I've also seen the jealousies of the Gentiles. That is the anti-Semitism and the Jew hatred and all of that. Because you don't understand it. But here is where it's coming from. Right here. That God chooses them for our, for the blessing of the rest of the world. Okay? So now we have what? There is the call of Abraham. God called so Abraham has to respond because all of these blessings will remain on the table, so to speak, <laughs> null and void until Abraham responds in obedience. And that's exactly what he does. All right. So let's just move on a little bit. So Abraham went forth. He went forth as the Lord has spoken to him and Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Abram took Sarah his wife and Lot, his nephew and all their possessions, which they had accumulated and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. All right. So verse four and five, what happened? Abraham obeyed the voice of God. He obeyed. And where there is obedience, there is always a blessing. And what is the blessing of Abraham? Those things that God just promised him in verses number one through three. That would be his blessings in response to his obedience. But also, too, here is the first recorded act of faith of Abraham that God called him, made him those promises. Notice, and God hadn't fulfilled not a single one of them. He's just promising but notice Abraham believed God. He believed God and therefore it spurned him. I mean, it moved him to act. It moved him to act. And that is what true faith is. True faith is never something to simply believe with the mind. If a, a person indeed has true faith, he will always act. He will act in accordance to what he is believing, right? That's why the Bible said, having faith and you don't have no works, you don't do nothing. He said, that's dead. That means absolutely nothing. But Abram's faith was not a dead faith. It was very much alive. But anyway, let's go, let's go, let's go. So he left with him and then the Bible said he also took Lot. Now, sometimes people try to make this a negative saying that he shouldn't have taken Lot. The whole point is this. God only told Abram to leave his father's house. He didn't tell him he couldn't take anybody with him. He said simply to leave his father's house. Now, we know there are going to be some issues between Abram and Lot. That is Abram's servants and Lot's servants down the road. But the point is, there is no issue. Remember, Lot's father, Haran, is dead and he is now under the authority of Abraham. And to leave with Abraham will also be a sense of a blessing as well. OK, because you, you want to be near those who do know the Lord for when the revelation of God comes to them, they can share the revelation of God with you. But anyway, so he left. And then the Bible makes mention of Abram's age, 75, which we know that this would be also 
used in the testing of his faith because we know earlier men are already having children by the age of 30, 35 or whatever. These are the last ages that we talked about. And now Abram being 75, for the most part, he's just about almost at the end of the road. It's, it's about too late. And we know Sarah is approximately 10 years younger, 65. So for the most part, <laughs> it's pretty much over for her. But nevertheless, God makes a promise that he would have this great family of people, a nation of people. And he believes it, even though he is so far advanced in age. But anyway, so he's about 75 when he left from Haran. Remember, they left from Ur of the Chaldeans with the Haran. Now they're leaving from Haran and going to the land of Canaan. And that's where they're going to discover this is where God wants them to be. So it simply says in verse number five, he also took his wife, Sarah. He took the possessions, all that they had left out for Canaan. Now, when it says he set out for Canaan, it doesn't mean that Abraham knew that he was going to Canaan because the first verse lets him know that God told him to a land that I'll show you how God showed him. We don't know whatever, but, but the point is point is that he left and he arrived in Canaan, right? So now he's there in the land of Canaan. Verse number six, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem to the Oak of Mori. Now, the Canaanite was then in the land. Now, let me deal with that just a little bit, too, guys. So as he's in Canaan, he passes to one of the major Canaanite cities. And that's why we mentioned Shechem. It is a major Canaanite city. So it was an inhabited city. And what you'll see here is this. Even though Abram is in Shechem, a major Canaanite inhabited city, he doesn't mingle with the inhabitants of the city. That's the point that the verse is trying to stress. He's not mingling with them. Okay. So as no, okay. In my mind, I, I'm seeing and thinking, but I want you guys to see it and thinking too. Remember all, all the way. And notice it. And the Canaanite were in the land. Who are the Canaanite? Go all the way back. See, I love the beauty of how the scripture always connects. Do you remember when we taught you guys about Noah and his three sons and that one particular son, Ham, when Noah was in that drunken state and his son, Ham, saw him drunk and tried to bring his brothers in and la have a laugh about it. And when Noah woke up uh, from his drunken stupor, he woke up and said, curse it be Canaan. Now, it was Ham who did it, but Canaan was the son. Remember all of that. And we can't we're not going to rehash all of that teaching. Go back and see the videos, guys. All right. But the point is that it was a prophetic utterance that the descendants of Noah's son, Ham, that is Canaan, Canaan, who will become the Canaanites. They will have some of the same, uh, of, I don't want to say features. Let me say the, uh, the, the, the debased immoral act actions. And you'll find, and we're going to see that as well with the Canaanites. Okay. The debased Immoral. When I say immoral, I'm not only talking about idolatry, but even more so being sexually immoral. That's why he said, cursed be Canaan, a prophetic utterance. So now notice, Abram is now in that land. And now what has happened? Remember Canaan, the son of Ham, his descendants have multiplied and multiplied and they went to 
The, that's why they call it the land of Canaan. They have now gone to this particular area, these debased people. And Abram now enters this land. And guess what? He sees the descendants of Canaan there, right? And that's why it helps us to work with this next, next part. As far as the site of Shechem, the major city, to the oak of Moray. See what I mean? To the tree of Moray. And now that's what we have to talk about. To the terebinth of Moray. I think the word is something like Elon, Elon Moray. But here is the point. It's not so much as the tree that we're talking about when it says the oak. It means the, uh, the uh, for Moray means teacher, teacher, teacher. So what we actually have is a um, idolatrous center idolatrous center of worship. So this is a central place for the Canaanites where they would teach their idolatrous and wicked ways. All right. So this was a teaching center and that was centered in the city of Shechem. I hope you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Kind of like a university, so to speak like that. You got it. Kind of like a university, but it's not a good university for learning. It's for learning, all right, for learning of idolatrous practices. That's what that's for. Now, Abram is there, but even though he's there, he doesn't commune with them. And you don't even see any communication between Abram and these people at this time. You got it? He keeps himself separate from the Canaanites. And we're going to see that particular ideology being separate from the Canaanites passed with Abram and his son. He's not going to allow his son Isaac to marry Canaanite. Isaac is going to have two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're going to get displeased when Esau married one of the Canaanites women. And so they're going to get for, for Jacob, marry another, another woman from our father. In other words, leave the Canaanites alone. And that's what we're beginning to see even here. All right. Enough of that. So the Canaanites are there. Seven. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. All right. So now while he was there in the land of Canaan at Shechem, here's where we have a presence. This is a manifest presence of of God. God has made himself physically apparent to Abraham in some way or not, probably as a man or some sort. You see that again as you move to Genesis chapter 18. But the whole point is, this is a physical manifestation of God. And so he probably appears as a man, but somehow Abraham is aware that this manifestation is God himself. So that's why I said the Lord Yahweh appeared to Abram. All right. But anyway, and there he makes the promise. Notice what the promise is concerning the land to your descendants. Now, the, as, as we state, as God himself states in the early part of this issue of him dealing with Abraham, initially, he says he'll give the land to Abram's descendants. Later on, we're going to see that he's going to promise to give the land to Abram. Now, you know what, guys? I might as well. I feel pretty good today, so I, I guess I'll tell you a little secret about that. Initially, he makes the promise here that he's going to give the land to Abram's descendants. All right? 
Later on, he's going to say to you and your descendants, I'll give this land. Notice to both Abraham, Abram, I'm sorry, and his descendants, he'll give the land. But remember, when Abram died, he did not inherit the land. What? He did not inherit the land. So listen, did God lie? Because God said, I would give him the land. That is the first principle of resurrection. The principle of resurrection. That is when God makes a promise. When God makes what? A promise that even if he has to raise the individual from the dead to fulfill his promise, God will keep his promises. So it's all based on the promise of God. If God promised that he would give the land to Abram and Abraham did not receive the land while he was alive, God cannot lie. God is not a man that he should lie. So therefore, God will raise Abraham from the dead, give him the land in order that God may be faithful to his promise. Now, and since I'm even here, let me give you another one. And Abram himself understood. He understood. He learned this principle. He understood it in Genesis 22 when God tells Abram to go to this particular mountain that I'm going to show you and offer your son as a burnt sacrifice. Kill him dead. What did Abram say to the servants who went with him? He said, my son and I, are going up to the mountain to worship. But what is the worship he going to do? He's going to kill his son. And what did Abram continue to say? And my son and I, both of us will return. That is, he said, listen, God promised me. He promised the son, my son, Isaac, that he would do so many things to him, through him. Now, if he is dead, he can't do those things. So now, even though I may kill him, in order that God will keep his promises to me, he will resurrect Isaac from the dead and I and my son will leave this mountain both alive. So the point that I'm trying to stress is the resurrection of the dead. Uh, uh, uh. Sometimes people look at where is it stated explicitly, written explicitly in Old Testament about is It's not, but you can see it in the text in and I'm way off because I'm supposed to be talking about Genesis chapter 12. <laughs> Enough of that. We'll cross all of those bridges, the Lord say the same, when we get there. But the point is, when God appeared to Abram, and this is the first uh, point in the scripture that it said that God actually made a physical appearance to Abram. It is an, it's an, a moving occasion. It is something special. Well, how would you act if God appeared in front of you? And so what did Abram do? He built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So now notice Abraham begins to worship God in the land of promise. All right. Come on. A couple more verses and then we're going to quit because we don't want to tie too many things together too quickly. But anyway, verse number eight. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel. He pinched his tent. It's just, in other words, remember, he's kind of moving around. He's got flocks and stuff like this, so he's grazing. And he's moving place to place. From the mountain to the east of Bethel, pitched his tent with Bethel on the west 
Ai on the east, these were two cities that, that later on, see notice that the writer is speaking of cities, Bethel, which we haven't really established Bethel yet because he knows, knows about these things. But the whole point is he's between Bethel and Ai, and there he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. So now, so what happened? So now he's moved between Bethel and Ai, and then he's continuing. He builds another altar, something that to worship, to sacrifice, an altar to the Lord, right? And but notice it says this. Now here's the thing that's interesting. He called on the name of the Lord. That's the instance of public worship. What, what did I say? That's the instance of public worship. Okay, so now he is amongst the Canaanites. They got their little, what, Oak of Moray. Remember I told you about the idolatrous Canaanite center. Public, a teaching place for the Canaanites, the ways of the Canaanites. And now Abraham has set up not something to contrast, but it is contrasting. But and he doesn't remember, he's not mixing with the Canaanites. He's not dealing with the Canaanites. But he has set in the midst of the Canaanites where the Canaanites can see an alternative center, if you let me say it that way, of worship. And it is the worship of the true God. And now, no, no, no. Isn't it a blessing? So notice when God says, and you shall be a blessing. And I didn't hit that properly. Actually, that verb in Hebrew is an imperative verb. God is commanding Abraham to be a blessing. A blessing to who? A blessing to the Gentiles. The blessings that the Gentiles will receive from Abraham is the knowledge and the worship of the true God. Notice when he got there in Canaan, what did he see? This oak, this center of idolatrous worship, Oak of Moray, the terebinth of Moray, the te this teaching center. That's what he saw. You got it. They're worshiping idols. What does Abraham do? Abraham now has received a revelation from God himself. And he has the knowledge of the true God. And what does Abraham do? Now he sets up an altar too. And so now the inhabitants, the Canaanites, look and see this particular man whom they are not familiar with. This Jew setting up this altar to what God is he worshiping? And what is this all about? So now the knowledge of the true God is now available to them. But how? Through Abraham. So what does God say? I'm sending you. I'm using you. I'm choosing you so that all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's why God chose the Jewish people. It's why God chose Abram. Okay. And ultimately this is fulfilled in that seed the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. But anyway, let's finish it. One more verse. And it just simply says, Abram journeyed on, continuing toward the Negev. That is, he just journeyed on toward the south, the southern tip of Israel. And it's not a bunch of plants and stuff there. And, and that's where we're going to stop right there. And I'm stopping there for a particular reason. Not only because so much time has already elapsed, but we... Right now, everything is so wonderful for Abraham. Nothing but all A's. Abraham got all A's on his cards right now. Abraham has responded in obedience. He has, Abraham's faith is solid as a rock. Everything is wonderful 
until the next few verses. <laughs> so join me, guys, the next time as we continue in Genesis chapter 12, as we talk about Abraham now that he's in the land of promise, the place where God wants him to be. Have you subscribed yet? What are you waiting for? Subscribe now.